This is a Cato Special Podcast. I'm Caleb Brown. President Obama is said to be considering sending deadly aid to rebels in Syria, even though the public is opposed to broad U.S. involvement. The conflict does not challenge vital U.S. interests, and it's not really clear what the United States would get out of it. Add to that the fact that the people the U.S. would be arming aren't exactly friends. Chris Preble, Vice President for Defense and Foreign Policy Studies at the Cato Institute, discusses the latest. According to several different news stories, including in the New York Times this morning, uh, the Obama administration is apparently, for the first time, considering giving lethal assistance to the Syrian rebels. So this is significant because while we have been providing non-lethal assistance primarily to the refugees and to some extent to the, to the rebel groups, the, the Assad regime opposition, those who are opposed to the Assad regime, uh, the provision of lethal assistance has always been seen as something of a uh, important milestone, and the the rationale, or at least the justification that the Obama administration is is using, is the uh, discovery that Assad, for now the second time, Assad's forces have apparently used chemical weapons. Now, this is not the first time this has been alleged, and it was uh, widely uh, reported a few months ago that. Uh, there had been chemical weapons used. There was some dis- disagreement as to who was guilty of that. Uh, but once there was, w- once people were confident that it was in fact government forces, uh, then people invoked uh, President Obama's uh, red line from last year when he said that the use of we- chemical weapons would in fact be a red line. So, uh, I think there was a plausible argument that in the f- well, first of all, that was a, that was a foolish commitment to make. Uh, there are a whole host of reasons why chemical weapons per se should not be the criteria whereby the United States chooses to, to wage war. Um, our colleague John Mueller wrote a terrific piece about that a couple months ago. But uh, more to the point, um, the, all of the reasons that the Obama administration has, uh, has cited for not becoming more actively involved in the Syria campaign remain in effect whether or not Assad used the weapons. If I recall correctly, President Obama was not particularly clear about what the use of chemical weapons would imply with respect to uh, U.S. intervention. And that seems like a bad idea for both uh, the United States and anybody that we're trying to help there. That's right. Uh, Ambiguity is always or or can be problematic. and in diplomacy, it leads to uh, misperceptions about uh, people's commitments and what you know are certain obligations. Now, people have said, I think wrongly, that American credibility is on the line because the president said that he would become more involved if uh, if if this conflict w- dragged on or if if uh, Assad committed these abuses. Um, but as you point out, the nature of that deeper commitment is still very much up in the air. And there are a range of things that the United States could do. Uh, the, the advocates for intervention, that is, the advocates for arming the rebels in particular, claim that that will prevent or help to prevent a deeper involvement at a later uh, date. I think that's false, actually. I think that we've seen in recent memory 
uh, instances where the the allegation is made that the U.S.'s credibility is on the line, and then if our provision of just small arms isn't sufficient, then that will be a justification for providing uh, more advanced weaponry, a more sophisticated weaponry that might require uh, Western advisors or even American advisors to operate them, and then you know then you have American advisors being protected by American troops. I mean, the, we we can see how these sorts of commitments escalate over time. There's also a fairly sophisticated literature in uh, – there's a fairly sophisticated uh, IO literature around uh, alliances between states and non-state actors. If you think about it, um, alliances between states are formal things and they're often debated uh, and they are formalized in writing and there are clear understandings of what uh, each party's commitments are to one another and where those commitments will or will not be engaged. But those kinds of commitments don't apply or not in the same way when you're dealing with the non-state actors. First of all, the non-state actors are non-state and therefore you don't have the formal diplomatic mechanisms that you do when you're dealing with, with you know, state departments and, and foreign ministries. Um, it, what that means, in, in fact, it's rather paradoxical, but the state becomes more um, – is more vulnerable or I should say uh, is, is in danger of uh, implying these commitments, is at a disadvantage bargaining with non-state actors because these commitments are not so formalized and because the claim that uh, – the, the kind of the key to negotiation, of course, is the is – the, sense that one party or the other can walk away, right? This is a key kind of point of leverage. And once a state has put its credibility on the line or there's a perception that it has, that threat to walk away becomes less credible. Uh, and therefore, you, you again, paradoxically, uh, the, the advantage shifts to the non-state actors who can do more things and, and work in ways that are not consistent with the original agreement, confident that that ally will continue to provide them more and more assistance to buttress their credibility and et cetera. It's, it, it's a bit paradoxical. It's a bit counterintuitive when you first think about it, but then you think through the, the, the way these scenarios play out and then you remember recent history and you can see how this happened. We've talked several times about the Weinberger-Powell doctrine that is the, the set of rules right. uh, over and above the constitutional authorization uh, when Congress may authorize a, a use of force. We're not there yet. But but it seems right. like every step is that we're getting closer to use of force right. without having to go through standard appropriate channels. Right. When, when we talked about Libya two years ago and Syria indirectly even two years ago, um, I said that none of the four criteria uh, under the Weinberger-Powell doctrine had been satisfied. A compelling national interest at stake, strong public support for the mission, a achievable military mission and therefore an understandable exit strategy and war as a last resort. Now you could argue that after two years of war and 90,000 dead that, that the – that we, we have perhaps satisfied that last threshold, but the other three are certainly not in play here. This is not a vital national interest for the United States. It is for countries in the region, which is why other countries in the region have been more active in this conflict. Um, the American public remains overwhelmingly opposed to U.S. troops' involvement. There's a, a bit more ambiguity around uh, providing assistance, but even there, there's not strong public support for that. And the military mission is, again, quite murky. This is a civil war. We are arming one side 
And if we do, we are therefore confident, or at least we hope, that they will prevail and that they will be our friends. And we should have learned, I would hope, uh, that given our experience in the region over the last decade and, and longer, you go back to Lebanon in the, in the early 1980s, that was another situation where the United States had become involved in a, in a civil conflict and was forced into a rather um, uh, ignominious retreat. Um, so I think that all of those conditions uh, are still valid. They should be. The Weinberger-Powell uh, uh, guidelines are, are valid and we are violating them uh, if, if the Obama administration moves forward with this plan. Now, John McCain, one of the the things that he points to in support of his uh, claim that this is something the United States should do is we can do all of these things, that is a no-fly zone, we can arm the opposition to take on this regime, and we won't be committing any troops. Right. It is rather remarkable that someone like John McCain, whose typical critique of U.S. foreign policy is that it's not using enough troops. He said that about Libya. He said that about the Afghan war in the very early days of the Afghan war. We didn't have nearly enough troops on the ground there. Um, I do think it says something that even John McCain is sensitive to the public will. That is that we do not want the, – the American people do not want to see 150,000 U.S. troops in, in uh, Syria as they were in neighboring Iraq. On the other hand, I think that he's either – that he's, he's ignoring the ways in which credibility becomes engaged in these conflicts. I think falsely. Again, I think the ability of the United States to credibly defend itself against – defend its vital interests should not be at stake when it makes foolish commitments to marginal uh, uh, allies where there is no national interest at stake. And yet you will hear people claim that once the United States has become involved, our credibility is on the line and therefore uh, there is no suitable alternative other than victory. And, and I would think that John McCain would be the first in line uh, if the provision of lethal assistance is not enough, that there be heavier assistance, that be more advanced, sophisticated assistance, et cetera, down the line. Chris Preble is Vice President for Defense and Foreign Policy Studies at the Cato Institute. You can read more of his work at Cato.org.